the Wayne Ayers Podcast. The Wayne Ayers Podcast. Woohoo! Time to wake your ass up for a blessed day. Hello, Wayne. Hey, Nick. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Congratulations on your movie. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Also, thank you for coming on. I know you're busy, man. That's a pleasure. Um, my first question for you is, like, I want to know what inspired you to create this movie, Golda. I was reading a lot about Israel um, back in 2016. Uh, because I didn't think that the conversations uh, about the country uh, I was having uh, were particularly well informed. And I certainly didn't really know enough to be able to discuss um, uh, the country in any um, um, positive way. And whilst I was doing my research, Golda's name kept popping up. And I remembered her from my own childhood. So I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 60. So when I was uh, 10, the Yom Kippur War was taking place. And I just remembered, you know, flashes of images of her. Um, and I remember her being uh, on the TV in black and white. And I remember this sense of tension. Um, and I think my memory is of the Yom Kippur War. So at the time, I just finished Florence Foster Jenkins. And I was um, looking for an idea, looking for, you know, us freelance screenwriters, we live in our ideas. So I was, I'm always... Um, eager to find and so I woke up one morning and just thought oh why has no one made a movie about her she's so interesting and that's where it started so I started digging in and and after a few months I found the story which we tell in the movie Golden. Yeah I, that's amazing I want to know like how did you get like um, Helen Marin involved because she's so legendary like how, how did you how did she come a part of this project? Well um when uh, I was writing the script, um, I I talked a lot to Golda's grandchildren in uh, Israel, who who uh, um, she looked after a lot. She knew them very well, and um, and um, one of her grand grandsons, Gideon, um, we went out for this very. Uh, I met him. We went out for lunch, and we we both drank a lot, and. Um, uh, at the end of this afternoon, very boozy afternoon, as I was leaving, he suddenly said, oh, who's going to play my grandmother? And I said, well, you know, there's a little list, you know, not many people on the list. We need a big star. And he said, oh, Helen Mirren, she's got a, she's the one. She's, she's, she's got the, uh, she's got my grandmother's uh, uh, um, vibe, you know, energy. And so, um Gideon thought it was, um, and of course we we had thought about you know the the, the, the who might play her, and it I, um, it had of course more than crossed my mind that Helen was was the uh, would be a, a good choice, but um, you know in order to get a movie going, you really do have to get a big star involved. Uh, that's how you get um, started, and I thought um, we. With my experience, I, I I kind of knew that we'd have to find an actress who was at least neutral on Israel. It's a very, very sensitive area. 
And and I remembered that um, Helen had actually visited Israel quite a few times, been to the uh, Jerusalem Film Festival. So she was she seemed quite positive. Um, and I discussed it with um, the producer I work with, Michael Kuhn. Um, and he said, um, oh, yeah, um, I I'm friends with, uh, I know, Fred, her agent. So Fred Spector is this legendary agent. He's been around, I, I think he's in his 90s now. But he uh, looks after uh, really the most incredible list of uh, stars like Morgan Freeman. Um, uh, and he, when he started his career, he represented Gregory Peck. So he is like this living legend. And Michael knew him from, Michael used to run a studio. Michael knew him from years ago. And he said, oh, well, you know, do you, we, we, we had the script. And he said, well, uh, I'll show the script to Fred and we'll see what Fred has to say. And Fred read the script quickly and really liked it and said, oh, well, I'll be happy to pass this to Helen. We didn't have a director at the time, which is unusual. Usually the director does this kind of thing. And then we got, you know, in a few days, we got this call. Oh, Helen loves it. She wants to do it. And we were like, hey, oh, right. doesn't she want to know who's directing? Oh, no, you know, it's, uh, no, she thinks it's great. Just get someone good and she's, you know, she'll be. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like that. She's like, uh, you know, a trooper, as we say on this side of the, uh, I don't know if you say that in the States. She's an absolute trooper. You know, so she was on board and that was that, you know. And so it took several years to sort it out afterwards with uh, various problems. But she's been with us the whole time. And without her, there would be would have been nothing. So I'm enormously grateful to Helen, Dame Helen, bless her. And uh, she's uh, she did a great job. So that was that was all good. Good things do happen in the movie business once in a while. Not very often. But that's an amazing story. I love that. I love that so much. You know, like recreating time pieces must be hard because you have to get like every detail from that time period like correct. So how difficult was that alone? Because it's like <laughs> well, I went into this project knowing nothing. I knew nothing about Israel. I knew virtually nothing about Golda Meir. I knew nothing about the Yom Kippur War, some vague memories, a vague knowledge of the Middle East. So I thought. But in a way, it, that was an advantage because I had to start from the beginning, you know, I, I and uh, it took me, you know, well over a year, 18 months. I mean, it, it was, I kind of felt that if I was going to tell this story and the story of the Yom Kippur War, which is complicated, I would have to have like at least a sort of degree level or a master's level understanding of this so I just completely devoted myself and I decided what I would do is I would try and meet everyone that was that's still alive that was in that room with Golda back then and I would try and read every uh, document that Golda exchanged with Henry Kissinger and all of everything that all of the minutes of every meeting she had during the war and uh, so I did that and that took um a long, long time. There was there were literally thousands of documents, and it was so complicated. And trying to put them all together was was so difficult. I'm, you know, I'm not a particularly educated person. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a degree. Uh, this is a big task for someone that doesn't have an organized 
mind. So I thought, well, there's only one thing to do. I'll, I'll create a spreadsheet. So I created this spreadsheet with all of the days along the uh, top and all of the characters down the side. And I, and I started producing this huge sort of grid uh, so I could, I could just sort of piece it together in my mind. And then when I'd done that, I would sit and look at it. And it was I printed it all off one day, and it was like the size of a sort of um, table tennis table. And I would just start, sit and look at it and think, you know, what's what's the thread running through all of this? And so the thread really was Golda's uh, emotional life. And um, so I just took her story and uh, gradually the uh, the story sort of began to emerge. I, I, I Through this fog, I could start to see this central narrative line. Uh, and I was able to sort of draw draw that out. So... So that was the process, but it was a long process and, and not not easy, particularly for me, um, given that I was starting from zero. Yeah, I want to know, like, where do you find like the most intriguing aspect of Golda's like legacy? Well, the so one of the things that I was really surprised to discover was that in Israel she's fantastically unpopular, or she was. Um, and she's blamed for um, being very slow to mobilize the troops um, when the country was being invaded. And she's she's really uh, uh, was fantastically unpopular. And that really surprised me. So that uh, and then when I had done all of my research, I discovered that this reputation she developed was really unfair that actually she'd done she had done a very, very good job and she'd been fed all sorts of false information. And there was all sorts of tensions in her cabinet. So um, I, I, I found that very interesting. And one of the good things about the movie is that it's, um, it, I think it's really changing public opinion in, in Israel. And, and, and that's been terrific, particularly for her family, because they've been, um, you know, they've really suffered over the years because, you know, they would be in a restaurant and someone who'd lost their father or a brother would come up to one of the grandsons and start, you know, blaming them, saying your grandmother is responsible for the death of my father. And, you know, you, you she was a terrible person and all of this. And it's unfair. It's really unfair. So that's sort of changed. I think about her personally, it was the it was really just seeing how tough she was and when the war started she stayed awake for five days straight this is a woman in her mid-70s who was had cancer um she didn't eat much she drank coffee uh all of that time and she smoked and but she remained really calm and she'd seen so much of life that she was able to sort of you know it was just one more problem for her everyone else was in a terrible panic but she was um she was calm and it it, it was this sense that this all of this experience of her lifetime had sort of come together and it, it allowed her to make these calm, good decisions. And there's just so much to learn from her. And uh, she certainly uh, inspired me in my own life to, 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 to just try and stay calm. You know, no matter I had, uh, I remember uh, last year I was, I was at a film festival and, and this um, woman 
came up to me and uh, she was really angry because uh, uh, because I was I, uh, she didn't feel a, a, a project I was working on at the time she didn't feel that an English guy should be writing it um, and she got really really angry with me and I suddenly thought what would Golda do she would just stand completely still and be neutral and wait until this woman's calmed down and then she'd have the conversation so I've been I've been trying to channel her as much as I can <laughs> No, yeah, I know. I know, like with time period pieces, there's like you have to be very careful with them. Was there any like directors that you looked at in the past or like, oh, we got to, uh, like, kind of like take from them a little bit that did like time period pieces in the past, like the Christopher Nolan or somebody like that. Um. Well, uh, you'd have to ask the director of uh, Guy Nativ about who he was inspired by. But in terms of the writing, I mean, I, th I think, um, you know, I really liked um, the movie Gary Oldman starred in a few years ago, Darkest Hour, where he was playing Churchill. And I think that was really well made. And, um, um, you know, it shows it shows one particular moment in Churchill's life. So, um I, that was certainly very useful. I, off the top of my head, um, the historical films. I, I, I've always loved um, um, the King's Speech, which was, I think was 2012, which I thought was an extraordinarily well-made film. Again, another snapshot of um, a famous person's life. And what I really liked there was that, you know, here's the King of England, He's got a speech impediment. It's so personal. It's so difficult. You know, everything is there. And I, I really liked that. So with Golda, I, I, I just like the idea that here's this old woman. She's unwell. Suddenly she's got this big problem that she wasn't expecting. So I thought that that's, that's, that was great. No, yeah. I want to know, like, what do you hope, like, the audience takes away from Golda? Well, I, I hope that the audience will um, see her for the extraordinary leader that she was. I, I, I mean, in you know, this side of the Atlantic, we revere Churchill as our greatest leader. And um, I think uh, um, in Europe, I think that most people would, would agree that he... Um, showed this incredible strength and calm and led us during the second world war so successfully i think that um i think that golda can be mentioned in the same breath i think that um you know this was a smaller country and a smaller war but nevertheless for the for israel it was a war of uh, of survival um and i think that um that she just did such an incredible job and i think that there's inspiration to be drawn from her life as well she um she she was a very very determined person a quite dogmatic person but one of these people that you you really wouldn't want to argue with but <laughs> she would do anything for you um my uh, uh producing partner michael coon when i first said to him um Oh, I'm think I've got an idea. What about Golden Meir? I want to make a film about Golden Meir. And he he's a little bit older than me. And he said, Oh, I, you know, I met her. And I said, What? And he said, Yeah, when I was 17, I was in Israel. Uh, uh, he's Jewish. He was on a kibbutz. 
he said i was i was standing there one evening and, and my job in the canteen was to wash the dishes and there's there was a pile of dishes you know the size of an automobile that i had to clean and i was just so depressed you know it's this 17 year old kid he doesn't want to be washing dishes he wants to be out drinking having fun and he so he started these dishes he's washing these dishes and suddenly they he noticed that there was this little old lady standing next to him and she was she was drying the dishes and uh they did this together and then um afterwards someone came up to him and said um do you know who that lady was that was helping you with the dishes it was Golda Meir that was the prime minister that was helping you with the dishes <laughs> well, that's amazing <laughs> and I thought now that's her you know she's on one hand she's meeting with Nixon and Kissinger and she's playing she's on the center stage and yet she's also perfectly happy to help little Michael Kuhn wash these dishes because uh, that's how she sees herself as well. So there was the, there was a there's a lot going on with her. She's a complex character. She's she's full of um, compassion, but she's also capable of enormous um, brutality as well. So I'll tell you one other story about her, which I think is uh, really um, um, uh, gives you a sense of who she is. So I have this other friend called Eaton, and he's now in his 70s. And, and when he was a young man, when he was 20, he was in the special forces in Israel. He was a Navy SEAL, so he was a scuba diving. And, and he and his comrades, they had this boat, which they would sail off to Syria, or they'd sail, to, sail it off to Egypt, where they'd carry out these missions, where they'd create mayhem, they'd... Um, destroy blow stuff up shoot people i mean it was brutal absolutely this is what see you know this is the purpose of the military is to uh visit violence upon the energy so they they go off and do this it was very tough stuff it was a brutal time but whenever they went off this um they'd be on the dock and then this this car would pull up and out would get golden Meir, and she'd come down to their boat with a a flask of soup and some sandwiches. And she'd, she'd say, you boys, you're going off and make sure you keep warm. And he'd look, here's some soup, I've made you some soup, I've made you some sandwiches. And then she'd wave them off standing at the dock as they went off. But she was sending them off to kill people. But she was also concerned that they had uh, some nice soup as well. So it was this, this, these two things, this, this uh, grandmotherly instinct but also the the brutality that um, a, a leader of Israel at that time absolutely required. So I find that absolutely fascinating that the two things can exist in the same person simultaneously. Yeah, I noticed you mentioned her family earlier. Like, how much input did they have in the film? Like, did they were they invited on set? Did, I know they kind of picked out the main character. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, we were shooting in London and they were all in Israel and it was locked down at the time. So it, would, it was difficult for them to come and visit. But I visited Israel, I think, five or six times and became very close um, to, to her grandsons, who were all more or less my age. And um, I feel that if you're doing a true story and the family is, um, um, even if someone is no longer around, I think it's really important to um, work with the family and um, 
obviously they had endless details and memories of gold runs, documents and photographs, all of those things which I got access to. But I think you have to bring people with you. Uh, that would be my advice to anyone that's trying that's trying to write a, a true story. And so I, you know, would try out my ideas. I said, look, I've got this idea, this idea for a scene. You know, if if I wrote a scene like this, you know, would this work? What would she have done? Um, and so I, I I worked the script up slowly with everyone on board. And so people were reading my treatments as we went along. I wrote about, I don't know, 10 different treatments as we worked towards the first draft. So that there was, everyone knew what was coming and they'd all had their input. So um, so Gideon Mayer, who I mentioned earlier, was, was very knowledgeable about um, Golda's um, illness, and he he gave me lots of uh, details about the way she, you know, even things like the way she smoked, which which fingers she used to hold the cigarette, the way she drank tea, the way she did, you know, when she got up, what was the first thing she did in the morning? And so so by the end of it, you know, I had this complete picture, um, which allowed me to sort of, um, you know, recreate her. Um, and then, and then the, the the grandsons were able to help a lot with things like the clothes she wore and how she kept her hair and and all of that. It was, I mean, that's for me. It's the greatest pleasure of what I do. It's that part. It's um, forming, you know, developing the story and 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 meeting people. No, oh, yeah, I know you you done it all. I want to know, like, what advice would you have for like upcoming producers that want to get started in the film industry? Well, um, I mean, I'm in a particular part of the industry and I've, I've now more or less ended up just writing true stories uh, because it's just what I, you know, I always just think these the stories I come across are always far more interesting, I think, than something I could make up. I mean, I think there are, you know, great writers who work with fictional stories, but the movies I really love are also tend to be true stories were at least inspired by um, true events. I mean, I would say, you know, my favorite film of the last decade or so uh, was Moneyball, the Brad Pitt um, baseball movie. And I, I just thought that here's a true story. They've just found the perfect way of telling it. So I think if, 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 uh, if, for a young person that's writing who wants to do to write about true stories, I think my advice would be number one, if you come across a story that just you go, my God, that's I can't believe that's true. That's always good. That if if it's if you haven't got that, that's then you've if you're not shocked and amazed by a story, then the audience aren't going to be. But then I would say after that you've got to do the research you've got to really drill down you've got to know more about this story than anyone else and you've and if it's a well-known story you've got to tell you know the audience are going to be looking to uh you've got to tell them something new something unexpected so it's the sense that you thought you knew Golda Meir's story well think again this is actually what happened so I think audiences like to be surprised and go oh I thought that this happened when I thought that happened and then suddenly there is all of these layers and complexity uh that the people didn't know about I think 
obviously it, it's good to um meet people and talk to them and and generally i've never found i i mean i've always found people incredibly um helpful and um you know uh, uh, it's been amazing my career in the last particularly the last 10 years i've met so many people and talked to them about their lives and the lives of their families and um so i think that that you know drill drill into the story find out everything that you can and then sit back and look at it and say well look okay this is all fascinating but what is the what's the the, the narrative what's the through line and who is my central character and things like, is, you know, is there a villain? What is it that this person is trying to achieve and, and who's trying to stop them? What are those forces? So, you know, drama is about conflict. And I just like stories where people have got a big problem and they solve it by being clever and tenacious. And those are the movies that I love. Um, that would be my advice. And um Enjoy the writing because after the writing's finished, if you do manage to sell your script to these and it's someone starts to make it, it gets very, very painful after that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know like when people first start out, they make a lot of mistakes. So I want to know like what's something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out? I spent many years working in British television and I would, would would work on a TV script and make a little bit of money and then I'd use the money to um, support myself whilst I was writing a movie. And I think I wrote 10 movie scripts before I got my first one made, which was Florence Foster Jenkins. And I, and I was nearly 50 by the time that happened. And I look back now and I just think, what was I thinking? You know, what, why was I writing all of these scripts? And, and the, the thing was that some of them were quite good, but they were just not um, scripts that a, a, a star would ever want to do, you know? So I, I, my first piece of advice would be, okay, you've got your story. Who's your hero, or at least who's your anti-hero? And can you imagine a star reading this script and saying, this is just the best thing I've read all year, in 10 years, you know. So you've got to write for, you're not going to get a big movie made unless you've got a star involved. Now, it's when people are starting out, they're often making low-budget movies, which is different. Um, and I think there you've got to have something that's just going to be so fresh and so novel that, um, you know, and you're making it, for very little money that you're going to get noticed. But once you've done that and you get into the the rough grown-up game of box office and you, you only get to make more movies if your movie has made some money, then it's really about um, attracting other people to your project. So I the, the other thing is that what I do now is the if I've got an idea for something, the first thing I do is go and talk to my friends who work in film sales and in distribution. So I say to them, look, I've got this idea for this uh, movie and I think, you know, so-and-so might be interested in playing it. And they say, oh, so they say, tell me about the poster. And I say, all right, so it's, you know, it's, it's Brad Pitt, he's standing there 
behind him, this is going on. And what's the movie called? And you say it's called, you know, um, Bananas. I don't know what it is. And they they want to they want to just be able to see a poster, they, because if 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 you can't persuade them that this is something that an audience are going to go, oh, that sounds great. You know, you're never going to get this thing made. So my advice to anyone who's starting out is don't go and talk to, you know, uh, your friends uh, uh, necessarily. If you've got, you've you've got to just, you know, when you go to a film festival like Cannes, there's all of this razzmatazz and red carpet and stuff. But underground, there's this bunker, right, where where the deals are being made. There's people with tables and they've got like their products on the table. It's like piles of posters and this, uh, and they're just selling stuff in the same way that you would sell um, vegetables or, you know, spare parts for automobiles or something. They're, they're there and they're competing with all of these other people and everyone is trying to sell their movie to potential buyers abroad. And it's a business and it's, and it's pretty brutal and tough. Now, you know, you, you've got to accept that. And I think you have to give the salespeople who are going to make your dream come true, you've got to give them the tools that they need. So that would be my advice. I think before spending two years or three years or five years working on your script, which is doomed from the start, go and talk to a salesman, a saleswoman, and say, listen, if I write a really good script about this character and so-and-so, you know, uh, Angelina Jolie says she wants to do it, would you be able to sell this movie? And they'll say, well, we love Angelina Jolie, but, you know, she, we don't think this is good. Um, but And then you say, all right, what about this idea for some, you know, someone else? And they go, oh, yeah, that would work. Well, then that's a, that's a really good start, isn't it? So... Focus your energy. You know, there's a, you, there's only a certain number of scripts in any one person. Just don't do what I did. Just address the market, and and that's a good discipline because the the very best movies really do address the market, and they're commercial. I mean, look at the wild success of uh, the King's Speech. I mean, it it made a vast amount of money, and partly because it's just a brilliant idea and it's a brilliant film. Sadly, none of the filmmakers got a penny from it because it was that money was um, ended up in the pockets of Miramax. But um, there you go and get a good lawyer. 